Welcome to the Inclusive Education Project. I'm Vicki Brett. I'm Amanda Salohi. We're two civil rights lawyers on a mission to change the conversation about education, civil rights, and modern activism. Each week, we're going to explore new topics which are going to educate and empower others and give them a platform to enact change in education and level the playing field. Welcome back, everyone. Hope you guys are gearing up for, if you're in California, Election Day, Super Tuesday. If you're not in California and you're not part of it, you may, if you're in Iowa, you already had your caucuses. But if you're in any other state that has elections later, this episode is going to be really starting off what we hope to be a little bit of a series, preparing you for the primary elections for 2020, the presidential elections. Our goal with this little mini series is to really educate all of you on the education platforms that each of the candidates have going into this election. So we've been reaching out to... We um, reached out to the Republican side and we got no comments. So before you guys turn this off and say, <laughs> oh, you guys are just going to be liberal, Democrat, like we obviously wanted to know platforms for everyone. For everybody, yeah. And there were a key few of the Democratic nominees that are potential nominees that got back to us. So. Yeah, so we're working on getting as many of those as we can. We can't guarantee how many we're going to get back to, but our goal is to really be able to provide you with as much information as, as we can. So today, we actually got some great team members from the Bernie campaign. And yeah, Dr. Heather and Dr. Samir, they introduced themselves with their last names, but I wasn't even going to try to attempt last names. Oh, I don't want it. Like, no. I was just so honored that <laughs> was, they wanted to come and yeah. speak to us. <laughs> they have such great backgrounds in doing what they do. They are really focused on helping put together the education platform, especially the K through 12 for Bernie Sanders 2020 campaign and we get into such a great conversation about what their campaign has planned but also the methodology behind it kind of where they've been they've been talking to a lot of teachers on the ground in different states really trying to figure out what are the challenges that are facing parents students and schools right now and what are some solutions that they'd want to actually implement if they were in the administration so Dr. Heather kind of goes through her credentialing. She's been with Sanders Sanders for quite some time, and she is his policy advisor for the educational platform and the director of his campaign. Her background is a sociologist and was helping him with a lot of the measures that he was doing within the Senate. And then Samir, the special advisor, his background he had dropped was as a labor historian and just really talking about public education K through 12 and obviously with the higher education, Mm -hmm. higher public education. It was fascinating and it was really great to be able to talk to people that were very well prepared to discuss things with us and knew their stuff. They weren't just talking talking points. A lot of times, and Vicki and I have had encounters with like local politicians where we try to get them to talk about like education platforms and like what are they going to do and are they aware of the issues? And a lot of times they seem to be unaware of the big issues. And one of the things that struck me the most in this conversation was they're bringing up the rollbacks from the OCR division, the Office of Civil Rights, which has impacted our clientele, um, which 
many of you know, so much from the rollback back in Title IX to just the enforcement of OCR over our school districts and the lack of funding there and their plan to really reinstate this division to the extent and even further than it was before. So not just general education population, but, you know, all populations within our school system. And, you know, really that mentality, as uh, Senator Sanders always says, not me, but us, I think flows through with throughout the campaign and I think really resonates with us and our inclusive education project and especially this podcast is about that empowerment and it starts with education so hopefully you guys get a lot out of this podcast we do um, want to clarify none of these in this series is an endorsement from us you will see us take a stance in our endorsements later on in the campaigns but at this point our goal is really whether you have made a decision on who you're voting for or not whether you are a registered democrat republican independent not registered at all. Our biggest goal is just to get you all to be educated on these are the issues that our candidates are talking about, getting you a little bit more information. So whether or not you have a preconceived notion about Bernie or you're already a favorite of yours or not, we just really encourage you to keep an open mind with this. And if we're able to get the other candidates campaigns on the podcast as well, that's really our goal. So first up, hopefully not last up, Senator Sanders team. Enjoy. Thank you so much for joining us on the Inclusive Education Project podcast. We have two very special guests, and I'm going to have them introduce themselves. Hi, welcome. Hi, I'm Heather Gottney, and I am a senior policy advisor with the Bernie 2020 campaign and the director of the campaign co-chair committee. Excellent. And I'm Samir Santi. I'm a special advisor on the Bernie 2020 campaign, and I work with Dr. Heather Ghani on the co-chairs and other things. Wonderful. Can you tell us a little bit about your background? How did you get into either campaigning, if this is your first campaign, or how did you get to Bernie's campaign? Sure. I'm a sociologist, and I got a fellowship to work in the Senate, and I chose to work for Sanders. That was back in 2012. So I worked for him for a year in the Senate. Then I worked on his presidential as a senior researcher. And then I went back and worked for him in the Senate Budget Committee as a senior policy advisor for a couple of years. I was the executive director of our revolution, his political organization, and then moved from there over to the campaign. Awesome. And I'm a labor historian by training, and I was at the University of California system, active in the union, the graduate student union, and doing a lot of organizing around public higher education, access and affordability. And the campaign's embrace of free public higher education last time got me very involved. And one thing has led to another, and here we are today. Wonderful. Well, it sounds like you guys have such great backgrounds to kind of speak to today's topic. You know, one of the main reasons we wanted to do this series was really be able to get our listeners a little snapshot of each of the candidates' education platform, as it's not always as publicly known in the media. It's not one of the first eye-catching topics that people talk (laughs) about. And I know, you know, you can go to the websites for each candidate and you can scroll through, like, the platforms, but we wanted to be able to kind of give more of a, a voice to, you know, what it is that each candidate has planned if they become president. So can you guys talk a little bit about first, I guess, like the overall, what's the overall ed platform? I know it's more common people know the higher ed, but what about the K-12 as well? 
Yeah. Senator Sanders' plan is called the Thurgood Marshall Plan for Public Education and Educators. And the reason why we named it after this of our awareness that in some cities, especially in places like New York, segregation levels are clocked at being pre, on the level of pre-Brown versus Board of Education. So we have a real problem on our hands in terms of school segregation. On top of it, there are a few studies that show that charter schools exacerbate school segregation. And so, we so our thinking was that we would have that be a sort of organizing principle and also the anniversary of the brown decision was you know when we were formulating this policy platform we were only a, a few weeks into the 65th anniversary of the brown decision and on top of that we had been doing a lot of campaigning in south carolina and a lot of the people we talked to said that k-12 education was actually one of the most important issues to them and that they viewed it as a civil rights issue so that was kind of how we came up with the larger rubric and i think our plan is really one of the most comprehensive in terms of touching on all of the really notes you know like Samir charter schools, for example. Yeah, you know, and I think another bit of context to the whole plan is, you know, of course, Senator Sanders for his whole political career has been a champion of public education and public goods. And so this is sort of of a piece with everything that he stood for. But importantly, in the last few years, as, as you all know, in Southern California, there's been an insurgency of, of teacher activism, teacher strikes in red mm-hmm. states and states where striking is not even legal. And we've had, you know, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds, actually hundreds of thousands of teachers across the country take really courageous steps to fight for their students and to fight for a system in which public schools get the investments that they need and rather than give billions of dollars in tax breaks to the wealthiest and to corporate elites, we redirect some of that towards improving the quality of schools, improving the world within the schools, making sure that all students have the support they need. So I think that's another big part of the context behind this. It's a tremendously comprehensive plan, and in part, its comprehensiveness is owing to the fact that the teachers on the ground have been leading this fight. I mean, we really took our cues from teachers who, who have been front lines in fighting for this. So, you know, one piece that I think is sort of visionary about the plan is its position on charter schools, which when they were first the genesis of charter schools was quite laudable. You know, 25, 30 years ago, a lot of experimental pedagogical minds were thinking about different ways of doing education, of challenging the one-size-fits-all model of public education. And it's, it was an admirable notion at the time. Unfortunately, it's been abused in a lot of ways over time. Wall Street investors and others like the Walton Foundation, the DeVosses, and others have seen charter schools as a vehicle for undermining public education, for yeah. privatizing, for profit off of it. And so one piece that we wanted to be sure to include is a strong defense of the public school system, which meant holding charter schools accountable and stopping the proliferation of for-profit charters. And they profit in a variety of ways. And so we tried to get in, into some of that. And that, again, you know, teachers in Los Angeles and elsewhere have been leading the charge on this. So we are, and especially it's really sort of ambitious pieces like the charter school moratorium, you know, as growing organically out of the rank and file movements around the country that have been so inspiring. 
You know, you had brought up Betsy DeVos. That's one of the areas for us has impacted what we do. So within this administration, just in general, just taking things off of websites. For us, it was the OSEP letters and things like that. Is that something that, and obviously a lot of the Title IX protections, right? We're just like, (laughs) does Senator Sanders have anything in mind to try and remedy what she's done, right? It's just like, what is it, a bull in a china shop? It's like, how do we put everything back together? What are Senator Sanders' thoughts on what has already happened and what he could do to remedy it? So a couple of things that he has spoken about are referred to some of the rollbacks in her funding of the Civil Rights Division and tabling, I don't know, thousands of cases. There was a report in the New York Times on this, and she's just you know, wiping the slate on so many of these cases. So that would be one of the, the first things, you know, just to try to fund the civil rights program in the Department of Ed and visit so many of those cases that she's just tossing out. The other thing would be the federal charter school program, which is, you know, Dr. Santi was saying that as part of regulating the expansion of charter schools, she has been using this federal charter school program as basically a slush fund, giving money to schools that are already funded by the Waltons, already have plenty of money, and really trying to create some kind of parallel education system that's easily, you know, made into profitable enterprise. So, That's another thing that would come to a screeching halt if Bernie became president. And just to get off of K-12, there's also some of the stuff that she's been doing with the for-profit, you know, uh, schools, universities. And, you know, we as a country appeared on track to be getting rid of for-profits entirely. And she has really brought that back with a vengeance and all of those young people or not just young people but all the people who enrolled in those schools and you know the schools that folded or whatever and haven't gotten their loan forgiven you know that's a big thing that you know you just wouldn't see anything like that in a sanders administration in fact he's for canceling student debt entirely across the board and he's against for profits in general so i think our department of education would be basically the antithesis of boss really yeah, yeah really yeah so you know you talked about accountability for charter schools. One thing that like we find the most challenging is that there's a lot of good laws that outline how schools need to be operating, how they need to be teaching children. We have a lot of amazing research in this country that's not used. In special education especially, there's federal laws that are pretty robust, but the enforcement of that, for instance, our jobs really shouldn't exist because the laws, like our cases are, we think they're pretty easy in the sense that it's very clear the school is violating the rights of these children. But until a family can afford or have access to an attorney to then file a lawsuit, there is no enforcement. So one of the things, you know, we I always want to ask is how can we get better enforcement from the Federal Department of Education to the State Department of Ed to really enforce these laws without needing families individually to get attorneys? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, um, one thing we often say is, you know, a law without enforcement is worth the paper that it's written on, right? right? I mean, it, it doesn't do anything. We can have the best text, and if we don't have adequate enforcement, then it's worthless. I think, I mean, to Dr. Ghani's point, things like adequately funding and resourcing the Office of the Civil Rights in the Department of Education to be actively policing violations of all manner of, of student civil rights. In other ways, you know, one plank of our policy is to actually realize the federal government's commitment through the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act 
to provide what right now is 40, we would say should be 50% of all special needs funding. So, I mean, there's, it's ultimately enforcement in our minds is a resource question. If you don't have enough enforcers, you're not going to be able to, to do a lot. And so the question is, how do we ensure that the Department of Education, A, is run on principles of public education, run by educators who understand what schools need, and B, how to ensure that they have the resources they need to do their jobs. Love it. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things, I mean, you know, it's easy for us, and what part of our podcast does is explain the IDEA, and we always like to say, you know, the idea behind it is to produce productive members of society, and sometimes the argument that we have to make is a funding argument, right? If we have these children that the districts are supposed to provide for from three here in California, it's up until 22. So that could include vocational training and things like that from 18 to 22. You know, why are we not putting that funding into that early intervention rather than 22 to 90 when some of these individuals are on social security disability and and things like that. So to kind of hear just even with the funding issue that you had brought up, Samir, for us is just, you know, it's amazing to hear that (laughs) because it's really, it's difficult to try and appeal to those people that are just very fiscally minded. And I think that when we look at the accountability piece, one thing that we always try to drive home with our listeners is that oftentimes school districts do have the funding. They're just not using it properly, right? We have school administrators, superintendents that are getting paid quarter million dollar salaries and pensions after 20 years of service for the rest of their lives when this money should be better spent for our teachers, some of our teachers that are getting paid nothing for resources in the classroom. So, you know, we do find that in some cases, money is not always the problem, that it's where that money is going. And so we always look towards how is that accountability making sure that the money that is there, whether or not we get more money, is being well spent. Yeah, I'll add to, you know, a dimension to the conversation. You know, I think part of that is about empowering teachers, right, mm-hmm. who have been in many ways degraded over you know many years at this point and as uh, Dr. Santi mentioned finally rising up you know one of the things that Senator Sanders has in his plan is a minimal entry level salary of $60,000 a year for teachers you know federally mandated it's my understanding that the special education teachers are among the, you know, that retention among that community is particularly difficult. They have, their jobs are really the hardest and that pay is low. And then, of course, on top of it, the high stakes testing phenomenon really penalizes them yeah. and their students in particular. So I think that a combination of, oh, and then on top of it, the charter schools are discriminating against mm-hmm. them. Yep. So, you know, there, it's sort of three or four different planks on the platform kind of attacking this problem from different, you know, from testing to, you know, investing in public education and IDEA, but then, you know, also looking at it from the teacher angle and making sure that teachers have what they need to, you know, really educate their students, but also to be empowered decision makers. And Mm -hmm. I think to some degree that would help with some of that pay inequity with these top down salaries in some of these places. But also just more generally, I think in terms of the special education, it would radically improve the state of special education in America if we did, you know, a combination of these things. 
And it's interesting that you say that because it is something that Senator Sanders, you know, giving that voice, right, to those that have lost their voice and seeing, and you know, the issue and having that type of solution, I think is that kind of outside of the box thinking that got so many youth on board, right, in the last presidential election. Because the student debt, I mean, I know we went to law school. We have a lot of debt. Yeah. <laughs> like we, We're like, there. We're yeah, there. Yeah. And yeah. seeing really the logic, right? It wasn't just the, hey, look at this. Here's this idea. And I'm just going to show it. And it's really shiny. But just like the thoughtful process and being able to kind of, you know, the rising tide lifts all boats, I think is kind of the phenomenon that you're describing because oftentimes we'll get those teachers that slide our card across to the parent during one of these IEP meetings and is like, you didn't hear it from me, right? Because they're in fear of losing their jobs. Right. Yeah. And I'll just add to what I was saying too. Some of the, it's about empowerment. It's also about listening. And that is one of the things that I have been doing in this campaign, along with Senator Sanders and our team, is really going and listening to teachers. And and in particular, we've been doing a lot of work in South Carolina. And some of the stories that the special ed teachers have shared with Senator Sanders and in public are absolutely heartbreaking. And I think that's one of the strengths of his candidacy. I know all the candidates get around, but he has spent a large amount of his time in small meetings with teachers and really listening to what's going on with them. And I think that has, you know, their teachers are largest donor base. And I think that is just a sign, right, that that community of people really sees value in what we're trying to do to help lift those voices. Yeah, well, unfortunately, we see a lot of change on the federal side being done, talking to a lot of administrators that in many cases have never set foot inside of a classroom outside of their own K through 12 education. Or if they did, it was 20 years ago. And the situations are very different. We deal with a lot of mental health issues in schools now that, you know, either didn't exist to this extent before or as a result of new challenges that this new decade has brought to our youth. And I think that's really important to talk to the teachers. I think also the parents as well. We see a lot, I think, and hopefully a lot of the teachers are being very candid because we see teachers that, you know, behind closed doors will be very open about, you know, here's what we see in our classrooms. We get into a meeting and, you know, mums the word because they're fear for their job. And we get almost like a drastic different story from the parents than we do the teachers. And everyone thinks, are we talking about two different children? Are we talking about two different classrooms? But in reality, it's, you know, there's a little bit more candid. So, you know, we a lot of times in our work is try to see from that middle, like there's always two sides, three sides of the story, right? You know, his, hers, and and the truth and trying to figure out, you know, what's happening in the classroom without anybody but the one teacher, right, being there and the children, it's tough. Yeah. And You know, I'll just add that some of those issues are also related to other social problems, right? So Medicare for All and, you know, his work, and he has a piece of legislation called the Workplace Democracy Act, which is focused specifically on strengthening unions. Those are also ways in which parents and teachers become empowered, right? They have, you know, a voice through being able to bargain collectively and being able to strike when they need to. And, you know, and in terms of Medicare for all, there's, I just thought about that when you mentioned all the mental health challenges in our schools, 
You know, there are people who are undertreated, right, or mm -hmm. don't have access to health care. And, I mean, just to bring South Carolina up again, we were visiting schools in the corridor of shame, and they're just decrepit schools. And, you know, there isn't the sort of basic supports. And without Medicaid expansion, a lot of those families don't have access to health care. Right. Well, that's going to have an impact on what happens in school. You know, it's all interconnected. I know that we had our emphasis on the educational component, but, you know, I think you bring up an excellent point, and I'm happy that you brought up the Medicare for All because I don't think that enough people understand the connection between everything. Most of the time, our children with the mental health issues, you know, parents are thinking, I got to go through my insurance, or the school is giving them different information or misinforming them. There is funding for educationally related mental health services, but it all comes together, right, and having an entity like Medicare for All. So that access, that's not an issue, right? And Sanders is famous for always saying, you know, you have a heart attack or bypass heart surgery and you go in and you walk out and you don't have to, you know, think about the bill. And I know that for so many of our families that, you know, they care about that. Milk, right. how much is milk? And education kind of falls to the wayside. Yeah. And I know that he's also been outspoken, obviously, with global warming and how that all affects all of us as well. And it's just so interconnected. So I'm happy that you brought that up because for us, I think that in California specifically, a couple years ago, there was a bill that had the Department of Mental Health here in California would fund the placement of children who were it's an awful name, but emotionally disturbed to put them in a residential treatment center. And that bill ran out of money. And so the last maybe six years, what we've been doing is really, you know, because now the responsibility to fund that is on the school districts if the child requires that. So it's been a huge fight for us to yeah. try and find those appropriate placements for those children. And having something like Medicare for All would make it not that. <laughs> yeah, well, especially because it's kind of a roundabout. The school districts are just not being educated. That is their role. Yeah. So I've yeah. said in the last couple of years, our influx of cases where the child does not have a, I want to say a typical unknown disability, right? The autism, Down syndrome diagnosis, the ADHD, the kids where you get that diagnosis and you think, okay, well, I'm probably going to go and get special education or the pediatrician is going insane. But these students are kiddos that should be if it weren't for these mental health challenges, they should be fully functioning in the school setting. And we get these teachers and these school administrators that say, well, that's not us. That's, you need to go to your doctor. You need to go to a therapist. Mm -hmm. You know, we have children who are attempting to commit suicide and being welcomed back to school with nothing, not even counseling, because the schools don't realize that it is their role, especially in California, now that it has reverted back to solely the school districts. So we see such a connect of not having the resources or there may be some resources that most people are just not aware of. Where do we go? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I think that we have exhausted the questions that we had and we were happy with where the conversation went and we want to be mindful of your time as well. If there was any parting thoughts that you wanted to leave our listeners to or obviously any Mr. Sanders Sanders website, anywhere that they can kind of get connected or how they can join the fight, if you will, for our souls in 2020. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'll, just, I'll stop by saying just thank you both for, you know, doing everything you do. Oh, um, thank 
on the ground and with podcasts like this, to your point about, you know, educating folks on what their rights are or aren't, you know, resources like this are tremendously important. So we're really grateful that you're doing this. You're giving us the opportunity to to be here. And I know it's it's good to know that that this podcast exists. I would say, you know, you know, again, we have what we think is the best public education plan. And to sort of the point made earlier, also the most comprehensive set of policies to address all of the challenges that families and children are facing. But our ability to win it depends upon millions of people getting involved. You know, Senator Sanders is the first to say, always not me, us. We're not going to win this thing because we have great ideas or because we have a great candidate. We're going to win because we have tens of millions of people around the country who get involved. And so you can go to berniesanders.com slash volunteer. You can definitely the burn app on your Android. Well, see, I didn't even know. Like there was, yeah, burn app. Very I love handy. that. <laughs> and uh, it'll plug you in. It'll, and for those who have no experience at all doing political work or canvassing, it'll, you'll get trained on how to do it. For those who have a lot of experience, you can plug right in. And we, you know, clock is ticking. So we hope a lot of your members will sign up. Well, thank you so much for being here. We so appreciate it. And we wish you all luck in, in the next couple of months that are so important. Up. <laughs> We can do this. (laughs) Thank you guys. All right. And we'll talk to you guys next week.